0: Lord, you are good, Um, yeah, you are exceedingly good, and your mercy never fails us, and you never fail to disappoint us, or to, you never disappoint us. Lord, we just, we turn to you, and Lord, we just ask that you will fill us, fill us with your spirit, fill us with your love, fill us with understanding of your word. Uh, Lord, just be with us, in your name, Amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, I've been reflecting a little bit about Christianity in America, and as it fits the Sermon on the Mount, it fits this passage today. And really, you know, as you look at this, as you look at kind of Christianity in America over the last 50 years, and specifically evangelicalism and evangelical efforts, the church has done a pretty effective job at spreading the gospel. There are few people who have not heard of Jesus. I don't know anyone in my life who has not had the gospel been presented to them in an earnest way. And if you just look back over time and, and history, which is one of the things I really enjoy doing, but you look back at history, right, from the campus revival movements of the 60s and 70s, and they're still going on today. There are huge campus revival movements still going across campuses across the country to the Billy Graham Crusades. Right throughout really the 70s and the 80s and just the amazing numbers of people who heard the gospel to evangelism explosion. Do you remember evangelism explosion? And they came up with this very famous question, right? if you were to die tonight. That's, that was a very effective question. A lot of people were asked that question for years and years, if you were to die tonight. Uh, to the Romans Road, I'm a product of the Romans Road. I remember memorizing the Romans Road, walking people through the Romans Road, these like paths to salvation. Chick tracks, right? I don't know if any of you are familiar with chick tracks. The founder of the chick track recently passed away. The colored bracelets, I remember that from my youth. The different colored beads and necklaces to be able to share the gospel. I mean, it's just, there has been, I mean, there's no quadrant of of America, right? That's been untouched by the gospel of Jesus I mean every section has heard and really when you just look at those numbers it is also kind of staggering to see the number of people in America who identify as Christian right? I mean 70% of the United States the most recent data of the Pew Forum uh, did I think it's 2014 or 2015 shows 70% of America identifies themselves as followers of Jesus Christians Within Minnesota, it's 74% or almost 75% of the state identifies as Christian. Now, those numbers are in decline if you've been paying attention to that. Almost 10% those have dropped since 2007. um, The the fastest growing group in America is the unaffiliated, which is now up to 22%. Not atheists, not anything like that. It's just they don't… Identify as anything. They don't want to identify as Christian any longer. That's a lot. That's a lot of Christians. We, we tend to act sometimes like we're the minority in the country, but Christianity is by far the majority, especially here in Minnesota. You know, three out of four, 75%, not just are Christian, but would publicly declare to be a Christian. Right? So the numbers of actual Christians who may, if you actually push, right, don't want to answer a survey saying yes, may in fact also be Christian. There's a lot. And everyone kind of reacts differently to statistics. Everyone reacts differently to numbers when we kind of start going through these. You know, for some people, you hear this kind of thing and it's bad news, right? That it's gone down 10%. Or this isn't enough, 75%. We want it to be 100%. For other people, it's good news. It's good news that there is that many Christians or it's good news that that number's declining, right? They want to be more in the minority or more genuine or or those types of things. For some, it's just confirmation of everything that they've already felt or believed. For other, it causes tremendous amount of worry and fear and anxiety, which really leads to this question for today that Christ deals with in the Sermon on the Mount of really who's in and who's out. You know, what does it mean to be a Christian? Who is really a Christian? And there's an obsession really with that question If you've grown up in the church or you've been around churches for any amount of time, churches are obsessed with numbers, especially the numbers of converts, numbers of baptisms, numbers of, I mean, however you want to do it from the great awakening in America to today. I mean, everyone is just obsessed with the numbers. How many people have accepted Christ in the last year? How many baptisms have you performed? How many members do you have? How many attend on a Sunday morning? How many participants do you have in your house church? How many... We're just obsessed with these numbers. And behind it really speaks to this fear of being left out. Who's in and who's out? As a teacher who teaches the Bible, that's probably the biggest question I get from students. An earnest question, right? What happens to those who are on the outside? how do I know someone believes in Jesus? How do I know someone's safe? How do I know that I'm safe? How do I know that I'm in and not on the outside on that last day? So Christ addresses this with his disciples right after he tells them to go and to love the world. He gives them this warning in Matthew 7. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll be going through it on the screen. You can look on there or with a friend or a neighbor or On your phones. But starting here in verse 13 Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. These are some of the most terrifying verses of Scripture. <laughs> I don't know if you've read these before, but I mean, this, these verses have caused just panic on a personal level and on a broader level. But what does this mean? And really, because when you put this in the context, of Sermon on the Mount of where he's been, what he's been saying, Jesus has just called everybody into his kingdom. The king shows up in human history and says, everyone has access to the kingdom. Everyone has can enter into it. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter who you are in life. Everyone has access to my kingdom. But then he just tells us, but few will do it. He calls everyone in, but few will answer the call, he says. That there will be this very small band of brothers and sisters who will answer that call and enter through this narrow gate. Which is shocking right? Who would turn down the call of Jesus? Who would not answer this call to receive life? Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, this come to me, find life in my kingdom. Jesus is like, but not, not many will answer that. Not many will come to me for those things. It's a shock to the disciples. It's a comfort to the disciples there's comfort knowing this too. It's healthy to kind of set some expectations, right? It does kind of confront us in our American ideologies of numbers and how excited we get with large numbers. <laughs> Say, well maybe maybe I shouldn't be looking for large numbers. Maybe I should be looking for small numbers. And beyond that, just even not just the shock of Jesus saying that it'll be few, but even more than that that there will be many who think they have it, who think they're in the kingdom, but on that day will find out that they're not in the kingdom. And beyond that, that there will be others who look like wonderful Christians, but who will purposely mislead people, who will purposely lead people away from finding Christ. So why tell us this? Why would Christ tell his disciples this right after he's given them such a message of hope and just told them to go and love the world? He's just given them that instruction to love and then he tells that <laughs> few will love the way that I've asked them. Few will do the will of my Father. Christ knows us. It's in these moments I think they were really confronted with Christ as more than a teacher Christ understands his audience, he understands us, his readers, he understands our hearts and our motives, he knows what he offers, and he knows how we misconstrue it. We hear the call of Jesus to follow him. That's pretty clear. That's been the call all through the Gospels. Jesus calls people to follow him, and that's it. I've come. The king is here. His kingdom has come. Come to me. Follow me. And instead of following him, instead of doing what he says, we prefer to just hear the call. We prefer to study the call. We prefer to study Jesus. We prefer to talk about Jesus. We prefer to do things for Jesus, for the king. We find out about who he is. Right, we get the identity. You've heard this. I've heard the gospel presented so many times in my life. I know who Jesus is. I hear this. And I immediately, instead of following him, want to go and tell other people about him. Which doesn't seem bad. But I'm, I'm missing him. I would rather, right, if I'm honest with myself and I look at my own life, hearing the gospel so many times, I would much rather do things for the king than be with the king. I've heard about the kingdom, I've heard who he is, and I just, all right, I'm on board. I get it, you're the king. Well, I wanna be on your team. I wanna be in your kingdom. Tell me what I gotta do. Whatever I've gotta do to produce, produce this kingdom that you are trying to work for, I will work for you, Jesus. I will do what you need me to do, Jesus. I am one of your most faithful servants, right? I wanna please my king, so I will do whatever I think I need to do to please him when I'm not actually following him. I'm just doing everything he did or trying to do what he did. Many, there will be many who profess to be Christians, Jesus says, because that call is incredibly wide. This whole world, almost the entire world at this point has been reached, has heard the call of Christ, but just in our our venue, right? America, Minnesota, such a burned over area, the Twin Cities, right? I mean, people know the gospel. They've heard it. But few follow him. Many believe in him, right? Many, many people believe in Jesus, but few follow. Myself included, the church included, right? Why? Why is it so hard to follow Jesus, to go through this narrow gate, I think we've got to ask ourselves then, in texts like this, when Jesus says, right, it's those who do the will of my Father, well, what does it mean to do the will of the Father? What does it mean to be a Christian? Is it a profession of belief? Is it a profession of faith? Is that what makes you a Christian? Right, is it that you went through the Romans road, like I did as a youth, and you affirm at the end that you are a sinner and that Jesus is Lord? Is it doing miraculous works? Is it experiencing miraculous things, having the Spirit come upon you and speaking in tongues or being able to perform certain things or doing certain things? Like, what's this mark? How do I know that I'm a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, the biblical teaching is pretty clear and consistent that belief in Jesus is not the same thing as being a follower of Jesus. Doing things in the name of Jesus is not the same as being a disciple of Jesus. You can look at the book of Acts. That's a great illustration of this. Many people call upon the name of Jesus and don't understand it. And if you just looked at this passage, the false prophets who are supposed to be watching out for, they do both of these things that we tend to think define a Christian. The false prophets that he just mentioned, they have the right theology and they have the right actions. Right, they know Jesus is Lord. They're saying Jesus is Lord. They do the things that would go along with someone who says Jesus is Lord. Jesus shows, he tells us, he teaches us like such a good teacher what it means to be a Christian by first showing us what it's not. And he's pretty clear here that being a Christian is not dependent on having the right understanding, the right theology. That can't be it. It's not even about having faith in Jesus. That can't be what defines you as a Christian. That being a Christian has nothing to do with what you do. It has nothing to do with your actions. It has nothing to do with your ministry. It has nothing to do with your goodness. As hard as that is for me to hear, I don't want that to be the truth, (laughs) I want my actions, I want my good work to count for something. I want my years of good, righteous living to count for something. I want my years of study to count for something. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not gonna be it. That's not what defines you. And that's helpful and it's challenging, right? It's helpful for some of us who don't have that pedigree to stand on. It's challenging for those of us who do have more of a pedigree to stand on. But he's pretty clear, without fruit, all of this is meaningless all of it is meaningless and there right the apostle paul will pick up on that theme in 1st corinthians 13 without love <laughs> what difference does any of this make i can speak in the tongues i can perform miracles i can preach i can teach i can convert but if i don't have love right, what difference the fruit that he's speaking of is love it's not the actions it's not your theology it's not your belief Right, but is there love? Is love coming forth through your life? Is love becoming more and more the dominant experience and the fruit of everything? If it's not, you may not be following Jesus. You may be following the life of Jesus. You may be following the kingdom, but you're not actually getting closer to Jesus unless love is the fruit that's being produced. So what does it mean then to be a Christian? Well, it means following Jesus. It's really pretty simple. It means following him. Jesus consistently through the Gospels and through the whole Bible, the whole Bible is this call, and Christ comes and he calls people. He says, follow me. And that's it. Jesus shows up and he invites people into his kingdom. He invites people to enter into his life, to his kingdom, to come to him, to follow after him, to walk after him, to pursue him. Jesus offers life. People grab hold of Jesus as the author of life, as the one who has what they want, what they need. To be a Christian is to be a student of Jesus, To be someone who wants to learn from Jesus. To be someone who wants Jesus. To be a Christian is somebody who believes that Jesus has something to offer them. And you follow it, you pursue it. A Christian is somebody who's tired of everything else and wants Jesus. A Christian is somebody who is humble and unsure. A Christian is not somebody who is arrogant, who knows all the answers to life, who has it all figured out. (laughs) No. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who come meek and humble. I don't know. I'm empty. I'm hurting. I'm tired. I think Jesus has something. I don't even know what he has for me, but I want it. I want him I'm willing to pursue him. I want the life that he's promising. I want the narrative to be true. Right? I want him to be true. That's a Christian. Right? I was just talking with somebody this week about this, this gentleman who's in a position of, he's like, I just don't know if I can believe that the resurrection really happened. It's like, well, do you want the resurrection to happen? <laughs> do you wish this was true? It's like, absolutely, with all my heart, I wish this was true. Well, that's great. You're on the right path, right? Are you seeking the life that Jesus gave you? It's not about a certainty. It's not arriving at I know all of the answers. I have everything figured. I've got all the boxes figured out. I know how the atonement works. I know how sanctification works. I know what my role is now in the church. I get it. Okay, I now have faith and work fully integrated and I can, know. I just want Jesus. I've heard about this Jesus. I hear about the life that he offers. I've seen his kingdom, and I want to live in that kingdom. I want to live with that as my heart. I want Christ's heart to be my heart. So I'm going to pursue it. That's a Christian. We don't have to arrive as Christians. We don't have to do what he said. And that's, I think, what's so hard It's hard to read the Sermon on the Mount and not just wanna do what he says, but that's not the fulfillment of it, right? To borrow from George MacDonald, Luke Thompson tweeted a quote from George MacDonald this week, so I stole it, right, where George MacDonald, right, says, you know, like, the kingdom of heaven is not come even when God's will is our law. He's not giving us law, that's not the kingdom. The kingdom hasn't come when we just do what he tells us, when we are fully turning the cheek. It has come when God's will is our will. That's the kingdom. It's not actions. But when my heart is his heart, when what flows out of me is this fruit of love, when my heart naturally desires and thinks, and I can't think to not act in these ways. That's when the kingdom has come and its fullest and its most powerful. And I'm pursuing that. I'm becoming like that imperfectly and slowly and painfully and with doubt and fear, but that's where I'm going. So how do we make that move? How do we get to a place, right? How do we get to a place where we treasure Jesus and we want him, right? How do we get to a place, especially as modern evangelicals, do we get to a place where we just stop talking about Jesus? Because we're really effective at this. I'm very effective at this. How do we get to a place where I stop talking about him and I start actually intentionally desiring him and his presence and his kingdom? Well, and Christ shows us, he shows us in this passage, he shows us beyond this, but it's in it's in being known by Jesus. When you look at the end of this passage, I never knew you. He doesn't tell them you never did enough you did the wrong things or you should have done other things with your life. You should have claimed a different faith. You should have done anything else. No, right? It's, are you known by Jesus or are you not known by Jesus? Which gives such comfort, humbleness. We didn't pick Jesus. Right? Our whole experience of, of Christianity in America has been driven a lot by our thinking that we can pick, that people need to pick. You need to choose. Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you, you know, but the reality is none of us picked Jesus. Jesus picked me. He picked you. He's picked all of us. He's called us. He called me. He knew me, and he picked me. He called me to be a member of his kingdom. He called me to be in his life. He called me to this life that I have. He called me into this better life that he has. Which just changes everything, right? Because we have this disconnect with discipleship. Discipleship has become really this kind of... I don't know, it's, it's a good word. Some people, when you talk, start talking about discipleship, get really excited and like, amen, brother. Let's preach discipleship. Yeah, we gotta get people working a lot harder on their faith and Christianity. Let's not just you know, sit around and listen to Jesus. And, and for other people, it's like, oh, discipleship. Oh, it's all rules and it's, you know, you're talking about all these things. It's just, can't we just talk about the love of Christ? And, but the gospel and the cross and Christ in that moment, I know you. Oh, it just removes that from us. Discipleship, the act of, because discipleship is just following after somebody, becoming like somebody. Being known by Jesus, if this is true, it turns discipleship from a duty into a joy. Right, it's no longer based on me. It's not dependent on me. And in fact, discipleship becomes my identity. Right, it becomes my identity rather than some goal to obtain. I'm a student. I'm a disciple. I've been called by Jesus. It's not something that I have to attain to. It's not something I have to work towards. It's not like my goal to one day be a disciple. I am. You are. You're a student. You may be a bad one or a good one or a faithful one or an unfaithful one, but you're a student. It becomes your identity rather than this striving for something to be this. It becomes who you are, which gives assurance and comfort. There's no longer fear and obligation. There's no longer this need to impress. There's no longer this need to gain access to something that I don't already have. I have it. Right, which begs these questions of us then, as Christians. You know, how is, how is it going for you, right, this following of Jesus? When you think of your Christian life, when you think of the life that you're living, how is it going? Is your life in Christ, is your life in the church one of duty and obligation? You know, do you feel like this is just what you need to do to please God to grow? Do you feel like at times, or most of the time, or maybe all the time, like you're just going through motions? Right? You don't understand why you're even doing the things that you're doing, right? Why worship? Why study? Why show up? Why do these things? Is the Christian life exhausting? This life of discipleship, this life of following Christ? Are you tired? When the gospel calls us, Christ calls you. That's exactly who he's calling. The tired, the weary, the ones who are done, right? Who realize the folly of their work, that there's nothing you can do that will ever be enough, that you will never be able to gain entrance into the kingdom, that that gate is very narrow. You can try as much as you want, but you're not gonna get in on your own. I mean, this is exactly who he wants. This is exactly who he's speaking to is the tired and the weary, the broken and the poor, the humble. And we look to the cross, right? We look to the cross and we see the king who has called us into his kingdom. And what do we see? We see the one who called us. Because it's one thing just to be called, into the kingdom, that's a powerful idea just there in and of itself. If Jesus has just called me into his kingdom, that's great. And that gives me this feeling of privilege and power and, and importance and all right, I can do this, I need to do this. This is the teachings of many religions and Mormonism in, in particular, or things like that, of just, hey, all right, we all have this call, let's do this, let's follow Jesus. Don't you understand who he is? Don't you see where this is going? And so you do it, you follow it, but it, it's unattainable. <laughs> It's exhausting to try to be Jesus. Many of you know the exhaustion. I get exhausted all the time trying to be Jesus. It's like, I can never do this. But then I look at the cross and I see my king who has called me to be like him, dying. Dying in my place. Taking what should be the penalty that I deserve for the life that I've lived and then giving to me his life. This is the gospel. Christ calls us to live a life. He calls me to live his life. He showed us the way to live. I want to live like, I want Jesus' heart. I want to be like Christ. I want to be able to love fully, to be loved, to love God, to love my neighbor, to be at peace. I want this life. I want to be in the kingdom. He's called us to this life the life that he lived and then he dies for the life that we actually live because no matter how hard I work and try I can't live up to I can't live the life that he called me to live which is why there's this great tension even in the Sermon on the Mount there's this incredible tension that believers have because they don't see the cross in the Sermon on the Mount where you say like okay I get it I'm going to love my neighbors got it Jesus anytime I get slapped I'll turn the cheek I get it yep I'm going to do this whatever you say I'll do it well, you're not, right? And that's what Jesus just kind of keeps telling his disciples over and over. You're, you're not going to do it. No one's going to do it. You can't do it. This, this, it's going to be impossible. You're not going to be able to love the way that I love. But don't worry because I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for that life that you actually live, and I'm going to credit you with my life so that you get the credit for the life that I've lived. It, it's the most amazing philosophy on the market. There's nothing for us to do. That Christ has died in my place and has given me this life that he's promised me. He's called me into a life and he's secured that life for me, and that's not dependent on me anymore. This is what it means to be known by Jesus, right? He knows me, he knows us, he knows me intimately. He's my maker. He's your maker. He knows my heart. He knows my failings. He knows how I will even turn his blessings into bad things. That he knows every part of me, and he loves me still. And not that he just loves me and gives me a second chance or a third chance or more and more chances to live up to this standard and get to that kingdom, but he died for me and gave me his life so that I have standing. I am known, fully known by the King, and I am loved. Where do you find your hope and your confidence? Do verses like this inspire fear in you? Oh no, what do I have to do to be saved? Is your confidence in your work? Is your confidence in your thinking? Is your confidence in your certainty? Is your confidence in what you know? Or is your confidence in being known by the king? Christ is telling us to put our confidence there. Jesus knows you. Is that enough for you? you? Can you rest in that confidence that you have been known by the king, that he has given you life? And in that resting, in that certainty of knowing Jesus and being known by him, and seeing what he has done for us, right? Love is the fruit, obedience, the Father's will, right? This stuff, this flows out of us more and more and more and more. This is our experience. This is your experience. If you're honest with yourself, the more and more I am confronted with the cross, the more and more I am confronted with my Savior dying for me, the more love and thanksgiving and joy and peace I find. If you're tired, right? if you're tired and unsure, come to Jesus for rest. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to know how Christianity works. You don't have to have the perfect atonement theory. You don't have to have the perfect picture of the church. You don't have to know all of these things. You just have to come to Jesus. Are you after him? Look for him. Look at him. Pursue him. And if you've never honestly pursued Jesus with your life, it's time to start. It's time to start pursuing Christ. Not pursuing the life that you think you need to live, but actually pursuing him. For many of us, that may mean stop doing so many things for the king and start being with the king more. But do you actually have Jesus in your life or do you have the life that you think Jesus wants for you in your life? Because they're very different. One has the fruit of love, the other does not. Christ is calling us to himself. He's calling us to find our identity and our certainty and our hope in him and not in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you Uh, Thanks just doesn't seem to even be enough, but Lord, we just thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for opening the kingdom wide to us. Lord, we thank you for not just providing a way, but securing our path, our way into your kingdom, our standing in the kingdom in you. Lord, we confess that we are eager to work, that we are eager to do things ourselves, to put our hope in ourselves, to trust in ourselves more than we just trust in you and in your call. And rather than acting in simple faith and simple obedience, Lord, we overly complicate things, overly think things, all in an effort to really puff ourselves up and to be certain in our own minds. Uh, Lord, to live lives that we think bring you glory, rather than just rest in your life and the life that you've given us. Lord, we just we just thank you. We thank you for your Spirit that's at work in us, continually correcting and convicting and drawing us back to you as the source of our life and peace and joy. Uh, Lord, we just ask for that work to continue. Lord, we just ask that you will give us the strength to understand and to know how great your love is for us. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to you. Help us, Lord, to seek after you and to live this life of discipleship and of love with you and with others. Lord, we just, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the church. In your son's name, amen.